You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 9, 18-34. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. As he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the little girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout the whole area. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole area. Just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Hey, for those who are first-time guests, my name is Jamal. I am one of the pastors here, and we are thrilled that you are here with us today. I pray that a, a word would be spoken now or a song song that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's start by opening up with prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word, uh, which we've heard today, that declared, oh, taste and see that you are good. Blessed is the person who trusts in you. I pray, Father God, that you would... Help us to see and to savor you and to trust you and to see that you are good. I pray, Father God, that you at this moment would just quiet our hearts so that we can hear from you. I pray that you would uh, take my mind and quiet it before you so that through your spirit, um, I would uh, speak to your people. In such a way, Father God, that your word would not come back void and that it would accomplish what you have set forth. I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to us all as a result of the fall as we all are dealing with, with guilt, with fear, with shame. Allow your gospel to speak to that and to give us courage uh, to live for you. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Before us today, we have the third of three groups of miracles uh, that Jesus is going to accomplish in this section of Matthew. After Jesus uh, is done teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, 
uh, he then moves to a series of, of miracles uh, for his disciples. And Matthew's point is that Jesus, in doing these miracles, are authenticating his authority. He's authenticating his ministry. He's just left his mounting from teaching, and now he's showing his disciples that he has the right and the power to not only teach as a man with authority, but he is a man of authority. He's a man who has power over disease. He's a man that has power over natural disaster. He's a man that has power over demons. And today we're going to see that he has power over death itself. Jesus is able to stop a funeral. Jesus's ministry is absolutely incredible. And Jesus is not a charlatan. Jesus is not a prosperity gospel preacher who are healing people and who's doing these miracles because he, he wants more from them. He wants uh, monetary blessings. Jesus is doing this because he's God. And in today's text, we're going to see four things that validify Jesus's ministry. We're going to see four movements in this text that show us uh, that Jesus's ministry is absolutely incredible. And four things in this text that if we take away for, from this text uh, that we will see um, in our own lives, that Jesus is able to stop our funeral. <laughs> uh, some of us today are in many ways uh, uh, struggling in our walk, struggling in our faith, struggling in a way that we relate to Jesus. And even though we're sitting here today all dressed up and sitting here today with our Sunday's best, that inside of our heart, inside of our mind, uh, within our experience right now, uh, we are, are walking towards a funeral of sorts. We are walking in doubt. Uh, we are not trusting the Lord. We are walking in fear as various aspects of our lives seem to be crumbling. And my goal today is to put before you what Matthew puts before you, the incredible ministry of Jesus, so that you too can have your funeral stopped, so that you too can leave this place faith-filled, so that you too can leave this place worshiping Jesus, so that you too can say that Jesus Christ is absolutely incredible and that he's able. He's able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that you can ask or think. So let's look at these four aspects of Jesus' ministry. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus' uh, ministry um, is incredible. It is incredible because he is accessible to everyone. He is accessible to everyone who comes to him by faith. Um, in, this, uh, in these stories we see today uh, that Jesus is going to minister to a number of people. He's going to minister to a, a man whose daughter has just been declared dead. He's going to minister to a woman who has been suffering for 12 years. He's going to miraculously minister uh, to a, a young girl who has been pronounced dead. He's going to minister to two blind men. And he's also going to minister to a man who is demon-possessed. All of these people are going to approach Jesus Christ with a desperate need and with deep brokenness. And Jesus is going to make himself accessible and available to each of them. 
And the point here uh, that I want to show you is that this is how Jesus works. That if you come to Jesus with deep need, if you come to Jesus with desperation, if you come to Jesus honest about your own brokenness, whether that is your sin or your current situation, and that if you make that leap of faith, putting your confidence and trust in him, that he will be accessible to you, that he is available to you. In this text, we meet a young man, a man whose daughter is, is sick. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it says that this man comes to Jesus um, after his daughter has died. In the synoptic gospel, specifically in Mark, we learn that this man comes to Jesus and he lets Jesus know that his daughter is dying. And as they begin to walk together, his daughter dies. What's amazing here is seen in verse 19, that Jesus, whose ministry has, who's been ministering uh, to person after person, who I'm sure is, is tired, that he never denies the person who comes to him in weakness and vulnerability. Verse 19 says, so Jesus and his disciples, they got up and they followed him. Now, this man who comes to Jesus is a man by the name of Jairus. We learn uh, Jairus' name um, in the other gospel accounts. Jairus is a Pharisee, okay, more than likely. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees up until this point in uh, Matthew's gospel are against Jesus, and we see this all throughout the gospel of Matthew. They're against Jesus because they are losing power. They're losing control. Uh, they're against Jesus because he's able to do things that they're not able to do, and he's disrupting the religious uh, 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 kind of stability of Israel. They were the people that people went to when they were hurting. They were the people that people went to when they needed answers. They were the people that people saw as their own heroes. Jesus has disrupted that, and he's come to people in a way that they've never seen, and he's come to people uh, and, and with authority, as I've said before. And so what's amazing here is that Jairus, this Pharisee, is going to come to Jesus in his moment of deep need and brokenness. And he's going to come to Jesus, and he's going to essentially worship Jesus. The text says that this leader came to Jesus, and he knelt before him. He lays prostrate before him, and he says, listen, Jesus, my daughter is, is dead. But if you would just come and visit my daughter, she will live. Jairus comes to Jesus, this man who's probably a Pharisee, this man who's a synagogue leader in Capernaum, this man who is deeply respected by everyone, is not ashamed to show his weakness before everyone, and he lays before Jesus in his weakness, and he says, I need your help. The God of the Christian faith is a God who says that in order for you to come to me, you have to come to me as a child. He's a God that says, in order for you to be made right with me, you have to come poor in spirit and mourning. He's the God who says, in order for you to be strong, you have to come to me in weakness. God promises that he will be accessible and available to those who come to him in weakness. Psalm 34 and 18 it's one of my favorite psalms, and it says this, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saved those who is crushed in spirit. 
And we live in a culture where being strong, being macho, having it together is what's, what's most prized. We live in a culture where people who get uh, the, the next promotion or who, um, are, are, are gone, or who people go to for advice are those who seem to always have it together. Well, the truth is no one always has it together. The truth is everyone is in need. Everyone is broken. And that God is accessible to those who admit it and who regularly come to him. Jairus comes to an end of himself, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is accessible with them and begins to journey with them. But the, the thing we have to understand is that Jesus wants us. The Bible says he wants us to come to him. And when we come to him, not only do we come to him in deep need, but we, we come to him as, as those who are a part of the family of God with boldness. Hebrews 4, 16 says this, it says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. God's invitation for you today is not just to see that, that Jesus is accessible, but that he wants you to come to him with confidence. It goes on to say this in the second part of that text, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God promises grace. God promises mercy to those who come to him. God promises to help us when we come to him in our time of need. Are you in a time of need? Are you grieving the loss of a loved one? Is a relationship that you, or a person that you've depended upon no longer easily available to you? Are you finding yourself in financial strains or brokenness or, or, or whatever it may be? God says, come to me with boldness and you will find help. But notice what Hebrews says in chapter 4, 16, which will transition us to the second aspect of Jesus' ministry. It says that you will receive mercy and grace to help us in a time of need. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that God comes to us in that time of need, but it also tells us that he comes to us and he delivers us in the proper time of need. Jesus' ministry, though it is accessible, it is often unpredictable. Notice this in verse 20, it says, just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and, and touched the end of his robe, for she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Uh, one thing that we need to see as Christians is that Jesus is accessible. He is always available to us, but he's often unpredictable. Jairus is traveling to his daughter. He has Jesus and his disciples with him. He has heard time and time again how Jesus has delivered people who came to him broken and hurting. He's delivered lepers. He's given sight to blind people. He's opened the ears of deaf people. And so Jars is thinking, Jesus is traveling with me to his, see his daughter. Every time Jesus touches someone who is sick, they are healed. My daughter is about to be healed. But I want you to imagine that you are hurrying on uh, to your daughter, and all of a sudden, Jesus just stops in the middle of the road. Mark and Luke's gospel says that it is a crowded scene. People are pressing and thronging upon Jesus from every side, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops, and he asks the question according to Mark's gospel, and the question is, who touched me? Now, if I'm Jairus and Jesus pauses in the middle of trying to hurry to heal my daughter and ask me who touched me, in my mind, I'm thinking, who cares? Uh, or I'm going to say, all of us touched you. 
Like everybody is literally touching you. What are you talking about? And all I'm thinking in my mind is, Lord, just get to my daughter. It doesn't matter who touched you. But the Bible says that he actually pauses. And rather than going to Jairus' daughter, he spends time ministering to a woman who has a serious issue. And this woman is a woman who has an issue of blood. The text says for 12 years, she's been hemorrhaging. She is desperate. Jairus is desperate, and he thinks Jesus should probably hurry on to heal his daughter. And this woman is desperate. And what this woman expects is for a drive-by healing. (laughs) She doesn't even want to be seen. In fact, if she is seen... And if people know that she has just touched a rabbi while she is hemorrhaging, she could actually lose her life. For according to the law of Moses in the book of Leviticus, a woman who is bleeding as a result of her uh, menstrual cycle or as a result of just uh, perpetual bleeding is a woman who should not be within the confines of Jerusalem. She's supposed to be outside of the camp. She's supposed to be separate from the people of God. She's not to go near a synagogue. She's not to give uh, sacrifices in the temple. In fact, she's not even to touch her own family. If she even touches her own family, her family becomes unclean and has to go through the process of uncleanliness. This woman is a woman who is walking and yet she is dead. This woman is a woman who is alienated from the people of God. This woman is a woman who is is living in prison. Imagine if she has kids, her kids coming to see her, but having to stay feet away from her because they can't touch her. Imagine this woman if she has a husband who's not able to touch her husband because of her perpetual bleeding. And she's thinking to herself, my only hope to living again is being restored by this man named Jesus. And I am willing, I am willing to put my life at risk because I believe that in the hem of his garment is enough virtue and power to heal me. She's probably superstitious. Most rabbis, when we read in Matthew chapter 23, that the Pharisees, they, wrote, they had tassels on the end of their robes. And these tassels was to represent and to remind them of how God healed Israel and how God delivered Israel from, from Egypt. These tassels represented the power of God. She's just thinking, if I could just touch the hem, if I could just get him to, I don't even, he doesn't even need to see me. I just believe that he is the one who everyone says that he is. If I could just get him to acknowledge me, if I could just touch, just touch, just touch his garment, I'll be, I'll be healed. And here's the thing. Jesus is unpredictable. Jesus doesn't just come to meet our expectations. This is all I'm saying. Jesus comes to exceed them. See, see, some of our problem is is that we just think that that Jesus has just come to meet expectations. He didn't come to just meet your expectations. No, 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 no. Jesus is able to exceed your expectations. See, see, faith says, Jesus, you are able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that I ask or think. Faith says that that your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. As far as the east is from the west are are, are your ways from from my ways. God, to sit me to, to come to tell you today that God is able to do more than you 
can ask or think, but he is not going to often come the way that you think he should. Sometimes God makes, makes pit stops on his way to heal you. Sometimes God makes pit stops on his way to minister to you. Sometimes God takes his time to reveal himself to you because he wants to exceed what you expect. See, Jairus just wanted to see his daughter healed, but, but, but Jesus wanted to show Jairus that I'm more than a, a healer. I'm the one who is able to, to raise one from the dead. I'm more than, than a rabbi who has power in his garment. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the God who has come to, to personally encounter you. Could you imagine being this woman and all you want is a drive-by healing and all of a sudden Jesus just stops and says, hold on, Peter, Peter, somebody just touched me. Luke, somebody just, somebody just touched you, master, everybody's touched. No, 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 somebody, this was a, this was a special touch. This was a touch from the black sheep of the family. This is a special touch. This is a, a touch of, from a person who's, who's divorced and who thinks they're dead. This is a special touch. This is a touch of one who has so much debt that they're, they're wondering if they should even still, still be alive. This is a special touch. This is a touch of one who came to Sojourn Midtown on a Sunday morning feeling like they're less than because a, a particular sin seems to be enslaving them. This is a special touch. This is a touch of one who's wondering if God even sees them, knows them, or cares about them. This is a, a special touch. This is, this is an image bearer who needs to, to, to see that I, I am for them. This is a special Hold on, Jarvis. I know your daughter is dead, but somebody just touched me with a, a desperate touch, a touch that says I need to, to feel and to see a move of God. I need to know that, that, that God sees me. This is a, this is a special cut touch. And if you find yourself today desperate and in need, tempted to, to give up on God because you think that he doesn't see you, I want you to know that God sees you. Thinking that he doesn't hear you, I want you to know God always hears the cries of his people. Thinking that God is not for you. If you are in Christ, he is for you. He moved heaven for you. He sent his son into this world to, to, to deliver you. But sometimes God just works in, in mysterious ways. Why does God work in mysterious ways? Why does God stop to heal this woman on a way uh, to, to, to heal Jairus' daughter? It's because God wants to, to stretch us, <laughs> to stretch us, to, to show us a different aspect of his love, to, to conform us into the image of his son, to teach us how to wait in faith. Jesus is unpredictable. He doesn't come how we expect him to come. Sometimes he, he stops when, he, when we think he should be striving towards our healing. Third, we see in this text that Jesus' ministry is, is sometimes laughable. <laughs> not only is he accessible, not only is he unpredictable, but his ministry sometimes is, is laughable. What do you mean his ministry is laughable? Look at the text. Jesus, after telling this woman to take courage because her faith has saved her, the text says that when Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. 
And they laughed at him. (laughs) They laughed at him. Jesus walks into this room after healing this woman with his issue. He asked everyone to leave because he recognized that he was surrounded by by doubters. People who didn't believe that he was Messiah and didn't believe that he could do what he could do. And the Bible says that he tells the crowd, she's not dead, she's asleep. Same thing he told Mary and Martha about Lazarus or the disciples about Lazarus. And Lazarus and the disciples didn't believe that, that Lazarus was asleep. They just couldn't comprehend it. God has a way of sometimes making us laugh. It was Sarah who laughed when God told Abraham to tell Sarah that they were about to have a child. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. And they were finally going to have this promised child. And the Bible says that Sarah laughed. And then when God went to Sarah and said, Sarah, why do you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. God's like, no, you laughed. (laughs) God has a way of making us laugh. Sometimes even as Christians, we laugh at the thought of, of God exceeding our expectations because of our own fallenness and our own brokenness, because of our own story and the voices in our heads, we, we can believe that God isn't strong enough to do the impossible. God's invitation to you today is to wake up to his grace, wake up to his mercy, wake up to his power, and to see that he is in the business of making people laugh. But there are some here who are laughing because the story of Christianity seems so laughable. We look at this world and its brokenness, and we think that the solution being found in a, in a God who became a man, the God of the universe, though he's holding all things together, became a baby. He entered into this broken world as a poor Nazarene. He lived the perfect life. He was stripped naked and died a gruesome death. And then he rose from the dead. That's absolutely laughable. And you know what? You're right. It is foolish. The Bible says that God takes the foolish things of this world and he uses it to confound people who think that they're wise. God created this meta-narrative, this grand narrative of Scripture that tells us that there was a great fall in the Garden of of Eden as as man rebelled against God. And as a result, the the world is cursed. And, And in order to reverse the curse, he sent his son as a man, as a second Adam, to redeem the world. God admits that it's to the world, this is foolish. But it's the foolish things of the world that he uses to confuse those who think that in their own eyes they are, are wise. But here's the thing. Those who laugh at that story one day will be laughed at by God. And when God laughs, ain't nothing funny. Psalm chapter 2, verse 4 says this. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Those who laugh at this message of the gospel one day will stand before the judgment seat of God with Christ Jesus ruling as king. And one day, the Bible says, 
metaphorically speaking, that God will, will laugh at his enemies. And my plea to you today, if you are here and you're not a Christian, is to see that Jesus Christ is no laughing matter. And to see that the way to respond to the message of Christ and this message of hope is by turning and trusting in him, not by laughing. By coming to him weak and poor and needy. By seeing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he does have power over disaster and disease and death. And that one day he will make all things right. And by throwing yourself to him, asking for mercy so that you can receive forgiveness of sin, so that you can be adopted into the family of God, so that you can be reconciled with God, made right with him, justified by faith, become a part of his family and walk with him. Jesus' ministry is absolutely amazing because he is accessible, because he is unpredictable, he exceeds our expectation, and because he's come in a way that is laughable and that calls for us to pursue him not by sight but by faith. Finally, Jesus' ministry shows that he he has all authority, all authority. The Bible says, and they laughed at him, and after the crowd had, had put, been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. The news of this spread throughout the whole area. This girl who was just dead is now alive. This girl whose heart has stopped beating now has blood flowing through it again. Uh, this girl has been restored. And I love what the Synoptic Gospel says as they talk about what Jesus did. It says that Jesus, in Mark's version of the story, he, he walks into the room. He takes her by the hand, her dead, lifeless hand, and he speaks to her. Talithakuma, little girl, arise, and she got up. And God is speaking to someone's heart today. Rise and get up. See that I'm accessible. Come to me boldly. Come to me broken. Come to me just as you are. But come to me with an imagination, knowing that, that my ways are unpredictable. And, and, and it may seem like your life has taken a detour or that it's went a, a way that you didn't expect. But that's how I work. Read the scriptures all throughout the scriptures. That's how I work. You, you name a saint in the Old Testament or in the New, their, their life took a, a turn that they did not expect. But it was the turn that God had ordained for them. And at the end of their life or, or even uh, uh, maybe not even at the end, end of this life, but, but God promises that one day they'll see that it was better that things had worked out this way for his glory and for their own good. And what God has prepared for his people, no eye has seen nor ear has heard. What God has prepared for a city is a, is a better city, is a better fulfillment than, than these temporal fulfillments that we long for. And God's invitation for you and dealing with the unpredictability of life is simply to trust him and to wait on him. To wait on the Lord, the prophet Isaiah said. And he will renew your strength. But ultimately, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus has all authority. He has all power. And as a result, we can respond to him by faith. Not like the Pharisees sneering at him 
mocking him, saying that he drives out demons by the rulers of demons, and not like the crowds, being simply astonished at him. <laughs> the Bible says that they were astonished at him, and they said nothing like this had ever been seen in Israel, but like the disciples who continued to follow him and who would continue to follow him even when he made detours like the cross, even when he didn't come through like they thought he should. God's invitation for us today is to see Jesus' incredible ministry today and to see that we don't believe in a prosperity gospel. We don't follow him just to get from him, but we follow him knowing that he is who he said he is and that one day he's going to make all things right. And every Sunday we come and we celebrate the incredible ministry of Jesus by reminding ourselves that he is accessible, that he is unpredictable, and this is seen in his own crucifixion and resurrection, by remembering that what we believe is laughable to a watching world, that, that God would submit himself to, to uh, the gruesome death of a, of a cross, and yet, that he is the one who has all authority. And we remind ourselves of this by taking communion. We take bread and we break it. We dip the bread in juice or wine. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we do this week in and week out to remind ourselves of what Christians all across the world uh, for many uh, centuries have reminded themselves. Is that Jesus Christ is for us. He he, and this is proven in his death and crucifixion. Um, and he's also coming back to make all things new. Those of you who are in the front, you can come to the front. Those in the back, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for just your son, Jesus, who's absolutely incredible, who's accessible, who's unpredictable, whose ministry to the outside world is laughable, but who is all-powerful. And I pray, Father God, that you administer to those areas of our heart that have grown cold and stale and that have lost its imagination, and that you will remind us that you are in the process of making all things right, and that your ways are not our ways, and that your thoughts are not our thoughts. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.